thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is the rock star? She's off gallivanting all over the countryside, Again. just just like a tart hussy. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Takes one to know one, though, Kim. <laughs> Well, it is the Christmas season and the holiday season, so it kind of makes sense that she's off on holidays, and you've just come back from holidays. I have, I have. Me? No, I've been here slogging it out the whole time. Just kidding. I was going to say you're about to leave, Tart. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So what we thought we would bring you over the next couple of weeks is um, the podcast is going to be the recordings that we three girls did along with seven other extraordinary speakers that we delivered at the Wellness Summit in Melbourne earlier this year. That's right. You know, we were so fortunate to share the stage. Remember, there was over 600 people in that room. Oh, it was amazing. And we decided to bring you our three individual talks that we gave at that summit over these few over this holiday break because we know that you'll not only get to benefit from hearing us, but if you go to thewellnesscouch.com, you'll be able to actually download the other seven amazing speakers. And they're exceptional. You definitely won't regret it. So if you want to get your hands on the full recording, go over to thewellnesscouch.com and click on the tab in the top right-hand corner corner that says shop now you know you'll not only get us three or you'll obviously get us three on the uh, over this holiday period but which is fabulous in and of which you know we could just finish there and then really well it's possible we could just do that but what we are (laughs) inviting you to do is to to listen to people like ron ehrlich who was the amazing holistic dentist from sydney who had an incredible conversation all around breathing which completely blew me away oh that was extraordinary and then there was nicole i can't pronounce her last name but she was extraordinary and she talked all about emfs and chemicals in the home and trying to eradicate um, how to, to lessen our toxic mm. footprint on this planet which was another really fascinating topic. I was super inspired yeah. by her actually. When I came home I made lots of changes in the house but I also made lots of changes about how I use my uh, my phone yeah. and I also became really conscious of the water that I'm showering with and that I'm using in my washing machine. I know. So listeners make sure that you have a listen to what she's got to say because it's going to be a real eye opener like it was for me. Yeah and of course there's the wellness guys, darling. So oh. the three of our delicious, beautiful <laughs> friends, um, they spoke beautifully and all independently. So it's a chance for you guys to actually listen to us all one-on-one, deliver what we gave to these 600 amazing people down in Melbourne this year. So I talked about um, how to find your voice and how to give some real strength and power to the gifts and talents that we've all been blessed with. And then I went into the personalities, which I know we've covered, guys, but this one's a little bit different in the fact that it's an interactive workshop. It was awesome. So you will actually be listening to 600 people having to move around the room and I directly talked to each of the four personality types. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? That was exceptional. I I loved delivering that talk. And you were just on fire. It was just (laughs) brilliant. And then followed, I think Cindy followed you, didn't she? No, no, I was last. You were last. Oh, that's right. You were sucked in. That's so tough. Yeah, it was tough. (laughs) But it was nice. then you followed Cindy because I remember one of you followed the other and I went, oh, tough gig. Tough gig. Because Cindy was the most extraordinary, her extraordinary self, of course. But she spoke a lot about um, grain. 
grains and genetic modification and also she spoke a lot about our own genes because a lot of the um, philosophies and theories out there right now are that our genetics are responsible for our health and well-being and Cindy of course throws the cat amongst the pigeon when it comes to that theory so you definitely don't want to miss any of these podcasts so we hope you enjoy what you're about to hear sit back relax and we'll speak to you on the other side We are about to be inspired by a woman who has had, I would say, more than her fair share of challenges in life, let's be fair. What's even more amazing, though, is that she has turned her life experiences into good and now teaches audiences all over the world to do the same. Still catching my breath. (laughs) She is one of the greatest speakers in the business, without a doubt. She is fresh from trips to Europe and the USA and today, she's flown down from the sunny coast to be with us all. Would you please give a very warm welcome to the sensational Karen Smith. Sing a song for the broken hearted. Not cool for heels. Oh, hi, everybody. Jeez, it's very different looking at you from here than what it is from up there. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Well, thank you, everybody, for having me. It's an absolute treat to be here. I'm absolutely honoured to be able to stand in front of a group of 600 people. Shut the front door! (laughs) Who listens to the podcasts? Who's been waiting for me to say, shut the front door? So today, I've, got a, I've only got a short amount of time with you guys, just like the rest of the speakers. But today, I'm going to take a completely different angle with you. Who feels like you've learnt stacks today? You've learnt new stuff. Who's learnt something today that they didn't know this morning or yesterday? Who's had stuff confirmed that they already knew, but you might have heard it from a different perspective? Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, today, you've been sitting in the room as a group of participants where you're learning stuff, you're taking information in. Now, I'm going to challenge you with something slightly different, and I hope that this is okay with you. Because here's the thing that I've learned over the course. Am I turned on? It's very important to be turned on. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll be shutting front doors all over the joint. But there's a couple of things that I've learned over the course of my travels and as being a speaker for the last five years. You know, with you guys, actually, congratulations, because with you guys, I think you guys have tipped me over the 58,000 people mark. No, sorry, I'm lying to you. It's the 68,000 people inside of five years. And you guys are my 895th presentation. That's 895th presentation. And one thing I've realized is that all of us are the same. None of us are actually different. We are all the same in that we all want to make a difference and we all want to contribute in life, true or true. Who wants wants to make a difference with what they know and what they do and who they are? Who wants to make a difference? Does anybody not give a damn? (laughs) Okay, who hasn't raised their hands? So here's the deal, 68,000 people I reckon is a pretty good snapshot of humanity. 
And in 68,000 people, there's never been one person who didn't put up their hand to say that they didn't want to make a difference. I reckon it's the meaning of life. I believe it to be the reason why we do what we do and why we breathe the air and why we want to take in new information. Who's like, who's a, who's a seeker, searcher for information, who wants, who just got to know the why and the how? Who's one of those? Welcome to the family. So I'm getting singing lessons. So we're all the same. None of us are different. But here's what I want to challenge you with today. Outside of these doors, what if we've got it wrong? What if we've missed the point? Because I don't believe that our greatest challenge exists inside this room. Because the people who are part of our ability to make a difference and transform the world are in this room. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You'd be out there watching the footy with a beer in your hand, getting drunk, snacking on a cheesel. <laughs> wouldn't you? The problem's not so much in this room as what it is outside of this room with our friends and our families and our colleagues. Who runs, their bi- who runs a business? Who owns their own business here? Reveal yourselves, you entrepreneurs. So for you guys that run your own business, who manages a team? Who's responsible for other staff in their businesses? Who has kitties, chitlins, little ones? Who has a family? Who has friends? Everybody, please put your hands up. (laughs) So we are all at the centre of a sphere of influence. We are all participating in a sphere of influence. And what if the world outside of our sphere of influence, what if we've got it wrong? And I just want you to hang on to that question for a second because it's my absolute honest belief that the people outside this room, I reckon we've got it wrong. And there are even some people inside of this room who are about to come on a journey with me that some of us even inside of this room... I reckon we may have it wrong. I reckon there may be another perspective on life. So I'm going to share with you my story. Who's already heard my story? Who has no clue on who the hell I am? (laughs) Nice. Welcome. I love new friends. So I'm going to share with you my journey today quickly, quickly, in a snapshot. Because I think that there's... There's a way for us to learn things in life. And sometimes life throws us a curveball. Sometimes life throws us a story and throws us a challenge. Who has had stories? Who has had challenges in their lives? Who's experiencing challenges right now? Right in this moment. Okay. Who knows people who've had challenges? (laughs) Whose mother-in-law is a challenge? Now, is my Matt in the room? No, he's not here, thank God. Okay, so if Matt comes into the room or if you see him out there, shh, hush. Secret squirrel, there are some things that do not, go in, do not leave the room. What gets said in the room stays in the room. Are you with me? Can I have a hell yes? Thank you. Okay, cool. So he's still not here. Fabulous. So for me, my journey, my real transformation started to take place for me back in 2001. Now, like I said, life sometimes throws us curveballs. Sometimes it throws us challenges in order for us to get the point. 
for us to get the message and to create change and transformation in our lives because without it, we remain the same. And nothing changes if nothing changes. I got one hell of a wake-up call. I was living in Sydney. I'm originally from Cronulla. Is there anybody from Sydney? Anybody from Cronulla? No. Okay, cool. Oh, sort of, kind of. I understand being sort of from Cronulla. I get that. <laughs> so I was living in Cronulla and I was living with my partner, Greg. Now, Greg and I had been together for eight years and we were in a relationship for the most part that was absolute hell. Can I go there? It was one of them, it was probably the most challenging relationships that I'd had. But I loved him with all my heart. He was just one of those people who was a mystery to me and I had to have more of him. And the more we were together, the longer we were together, the more I started to understand him and I started to understand how he thinks. Who's been in relationships for more than five years? Isn't it true that when you're in a relationship with somebody for that long, you really start to get to know them better and understand them more than what you possibly could after being together in a year, for a year? Do you agree? And it's like, it's, 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 it's not just knowing them more, it's understanding them and being able to work with each other. And that's how a relationship became. So Greg and I, well, Greg made movies and he made commercials. So he was away a lot. And there was this one movie that he worked on called Kangaroo Jack. Did anybody see it? Anybody see Kangaroo Jack? Yeah, it was, it's, that, that, that's a pretty good snapshot of the people who saw Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> Didn't go well. Did not go well. But now Greg was away for nine weeks, and it was a really long time for us to be apart. And when Greg came home, I opened the doors so excited to see him because it had been nine weeks. And he came home at midnight, so I had me and I had the dogs and we were all dressed up and preened and brushed and fluffed and looking fabulous. And he walks in the door, goes straight to Spud's our, uh, Spud was our, uh, what do you call him? Blue healer. Greg walks in the door, goes straight to Spud. And then I had a Maltese Terrier, Dolly. Now when you're that cute, yes, you do command attention. But I kind of stood there and I thought, what am I not here? Am I a ham sandwich like a block of home units? What am I not here? Are you not seeing me here? And he really didn't see me. He walked straight past me, dumped his bag and went to the shower. And then I followed him into the shower, walked in after him and I said, what am I, do I not even get a hello? They said, oh, sorry, sorry, hi. I just was really keen to get a shower. You know, I've been driving for 24 hours, just really keen. So I thought, okay, cut the bloke some slack. Gave him some room. The next day, we woke up, and I was expecting to hear all about it and expecting to have a conversation with him. No, he got up and went to work before I'd even woken up. And then he came home at half past two the next morning. I was well and truly asleep. By now, I'm suspicious, ladies. Let's just say that. By now, I've gone through his phone bills. I've gone through his clothes. I've gone through his <laughs> cosmetic bag. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, 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 hell hath no fury. <laughs> so I've gone through everything. The next day was the same thing. I hardly even spoke to him. I called him during the day and he couldn't speak. He comes home at 5 o'clock, gets changed, goes out and comes back at 2 a.m. in the morning. The next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. As each day went on, I got more and more furious. 
I got more and more furious because I was being completely ignored. After three weeks of this, we'd had our intermittent arguments about it, but after three weeks of this, I sat him down and told him how I was feeling. He ignored me. After five weeks, he ignored me. After six weeks, I decided it was time to see a counsellor because there was something going on with him that I didn't know about. So he agreed to see a counsellor because he knew there was something going on with him. He knew. I just didn't know. So both of us were seeing the counsellor at different times, but it didn't make any difference to us. So we'd see the counsellor, we'd come back together, and there was nothing there. There was no meeting of the minds. There was me desperate to try and reclaim our relationship, but there was him totally distant and disconnected. I was convinced he'd had an affair, but there was no evidence. I checked everything three times. There was no evidence. Even the counsellor told me she didn't think that there was anything going on. After seven weeks, Greg and I agreed that I would go and stay up the road with my best friend Jody so that then we could get a bit of space while he, re- while he acclimated back into normal life again. Because in the movie industry, you know, it's a fictitious industry. It's 24 hours of working in an environment that's not real. You know, it's, a, it's all fictitious and all made up. So he has to come back to real life where he's got a nagging partner and two dogs and a mortgage. And of course, when he came back from making Kangaroo Jack, my dream was that I'd fall pregnant, we'd build a big house and live happily ever after with a Prado. <laughs> Never happened. Wasn't on, the, wasn't on his agenda at all. Now, unbeknownst to me, there was a whole river of pain going on inside of Greg's life. And I didn't know. Eight weeks, I'd go back to the house three or four times a week. Nine weeks, still not getting anywhere. Ten weeks, I'm now starting to do the whole protecting of myself. You know what that's like? You know, you've got to guard your heart a little bit. That's what I thought. You know, here I am trying to recover my relationship while I'm watching it slip through my fingers, and I don't have a say. So I had to start to distance myself and I had to start to put a bit of space between the two of us because I thought, well, this is going to end badly somehow. And I can't continue to sacrifice myself chasing after somebody who obviously didn't want me. And I felt so inadequate. I felt so incomplete. My confidence was shot to shreds. I felt like I was the most unlovable person. 12 weeks, 13 weeks, 14 weeks, 15 weeks. I wake up on Monday morning and I'm lying in Jody's bed in Jody's house. My best friend Jody, I'm lying in bed. It's Monday morning. My phone beeps. My phone had been flat, so I plugged it in, charged it up, phone beeps, answer the phone, and it's a voicemail message from Greg telling me how much he loves me and how sorry he is that he wasn't enough and how he'll always be watching over me. I jumped in the car with Jody, let her listen to the voice message trying to ring Greg because his voice was breaking. We jump in the car. We arrive in my driveway five minutes down the track. The police officer meets me in my driveway and he says to me, are you Karen Smith? And I say, I am. And he says, Karen, Greg committed suicide last night. He gassed himself in his car in your driveway. And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, we've been through the house, we've been through the computer and we know that it's you that's his other half. So he said, I'm so sorry. Now, you know, when you go to school, they do not teach you to deal with that kind of thing. They teach us two plus two equals four. They don't teach us how to deal with the things that are important in life, like life and death. 
They don't teach us that. Even, you know, even to hold a brand new baby, it's incomprehensible to think that you made that. Do you agree? Like how do you, like, how do you even wrap your head around that? So in that moment, I fell to my knees in my driveway and I put my head in my hands and Jody held me on the way down. And I remember saying to myself that this was my fault. I was responsible. The police officer came to me with a CD, Kylie Minogue's Can't Get You Out of My Head. Do you remember that song? And he said to me, Karen, Greg had this song set to repeat in his car while the gas was consuming him. It was all about you. And he handed me my death sentence. Because when he told me that it was all about me, I knew it was. I knew that it was my fault. Greg's message told me that it was my fault. But the police officer confirmed it for me that it was my fault. So I said to myself that it was my fault and I had a price to pay and I would pay with my happiness. The last time I smiled was going to be the last time I smile. That was, it, it was like that was the end for me in that moment. And nothing anybody said could save me. Nobody could save me from me. And as the weeks went on and the months went on, I got more and more depressed. I got more and more to the phase of the stage where I couldn't stand to look at this. I couldn't stand the sound of my voice. I couldn't stand what I looked like. I blew up like a balloon and then I lost weight and then I blew up like a balloon and I was covered in rashes. I was a mess. But I hated this. I brushed my teeth in the morning and I couldn't stand what I'd done. I couldn't stand to live with what I'd done. His family, his friends... How could I have done that? How could I have been so conceited I only cared about myself and not him? Obviously, he was in way more pain. How could I have been so blind? And as the 12-month anniversary of Greg's death rolled around, I had become so disassociated from reality that I actually felt that taking my own life was my rightful price. I felt that I couldn't live with what I'd done. I couldn't live in this skin. And I couldn't live with what I'd done to his friends and family and it was rightfully my price and I needed, it, it, was, it, it was my due. And I said to Jody on the 12 month, just before the 12 month anniversary of Greg's death, I said to Jody Jodes, Yoda, which was the nickname I had for Jody, I said, Yoda, I am going to go to Bali. I'm getting out of here. I don't want anybody around me. I'm going to go to Bali and I'm just going to be by myself for Greg's anniversary. I don't want anybody trying to make me feel better. Have you ever been going through something and then the people who love you rally around you to try and make you feel better? Has anybody ever had that? But sometimes it's worse because then you worry for them worrying about you worrying. <laughs> Have you noticed that? And when you've got family and friends that love and adore you like I had, I then was worrying about my mum worrying about me worrying and my father and my sister and my brother and all the people who were really important to me. So I thought, you know what, don't want any of you buggers around me, just want to be by myself. But I had very sinister plans because I'd become so detached from reality. In my mind, I believed that taking my own life was not only my price, but I actually believed that everybody that loved me would understand. Everybody that loved me would think, great, thank goodness. Thank goodness, she's been the living dead anyway. So thank goodness she's gone and now she's back in her rightful place with Greg and now we can all live happily ever after. And that's what went on in my mind. On the 12th of October, 2002, Greg's anniversary was the 14th of October, 2002. 
On the 12th of October 2002, I boarded a plane, but Yoda wasn't going to let me go on my own. Five foot tall, big bazunkers. <laughs> she says to me, Kazza, you're not going anywhere without me. She booked her own tickets and she decided that she was going to go to Bali as well. 12th of October 2002, we land at 2pm in Bali. That night we go to the Sari Club. Now for most of you guys, I can see your faces. That's obviously the date of the 2002 Bali bombing. Jody, Charmaine and me were standing together, huddled together, because it was a nightclub and it was loud and we were talking. And for the first time in 12 months, I felt relieved because I knew what was coming in a couple of days for me. I knew I was ready. I knew that my end was coming and I had peace about it, incredible peace. And I thought, well, tonight I'm just going to enjoy Jody's company because I know it's going to be all over for all of us in a couple of days. About 11.30 that night, the bomb goes off. And with the way that they structured the bomb, it was a van parked out the front of the Sari Club. So we had the Sari Club on one side and a tall building on the other. And when the bomb exploded, it bounced into the Sari Club, bounced off the building and then into the Sari Club again. So the Sari Club copped two explosions. Behind the bar were four giant gas cylinders that simultaneously exploded as well. Honestly, I don't know how anybody survived it, and it was as if nobody stood a chance. I wake up. All I see is a hand. I see hair. There's a leg across my body. There's an arm down the side. And there's faces. And I'm lying there. And I can't see anybody moving. Nobody's moving. I hear a voice as loud as loud saying, you need to move, you need to move, you need to move. I didn't know where the voice was coming from, so I start yelling back saying, okay, okay, okay. Now I get myself out from underneath all of that. And now I start looking for Jody and Charmaine. But all I can see is the roof thatching of the sari club that had fallen down on top of us. And it was ablaze. And then I start to smell myself. You know how you smell skin and hair burning? I start to smell that smell. And I knew that it was me. So I turned on my heels, ran to the back of the club where everybody was running. And there'd been a hole blown in the back of the club. And there was this man standing there. And I'm sure he had wings. He picked all of us girls up and shoved us through this hole to try and get us out of the club. But he didn't realise on the other side of, the, of that wall, it was ablaze. So the bomb didn't just level the Sari Club, it levelled blocks. So we were all running through fire and running through flames and jumping walls and falling down ditches because it created craters for blocks. It was a brilliant bomb, if there's such a thing. It achieved its objective, no question. And I remember... I could feel the flames on my shoulder blades. I could feel it and I could hear my own skin singeing. And as I'm running, for all I'm worth, I'm running, I'm running, and I'm going, please don't let me run into a brick wall. Please don't let me run into a brick wall. God, please don't let me run into a brick wall. And I run straight into a brick wall. <laughs> and I can say to you now, I've been hypnotized five times and I've done just about everything I could possibly do to remember how I scaled that brick wall. But I can tell you guys, I'm five foot two without these fabulous heels on and they are fabulous. I'm five foot two and I can't remember how I got to the top of that wall. I have no idea, but I remember standing on top of it. I remember standing on top of the wall and jumping off it to try and get myself away from the flames. 
And when I finally got out onto the street, an Aussie, Australian, yobbo bloke, beer belly and all, picks me up and he says, darling, geez, I've never been so excited to hear an Aussie yobbo. <laughs> oh, darling, you're in a bit of strife, you're going to need to get on the back. <laughs> I went, oh, God, it's, being Australian is fabulous. <laughs> Except we don't say Australian, we say strong. So I'm on the back, his name was Jeff, I'm on the back with Jeff and Jeff's riding like a madman and I'm wondering what's wrong. All the Balinese had come out looking at me aghast as we're tearing through the traffic up and down, in and out of all the traffic, up and down over the curbs, back into the traffic, up and down over the curbs. I thought, what's wrong with me? Am I okay? What's the deal? And I knew that the left-hand side of my face felt, felt a little heavy. So I reached up to touch my face and touch my head and as I did... I went, oh my, and I felt something that didn't feel like me and I could grab it, and it was my skull. For those of you who I just cut out, it was my skull. So I looked at my skull, I'm hanging on to Jeff, and you know, it was in that moment, I actually realised that if I'm going to survive this, I've got one of two choices. I can give in, or I can do the best that I can to keep myself alive. So I'm on the back with Jeff, and I'm saying to myself, do I feel like I'm dying? No. Is it getting dark? Because I would imagine it would get dark. (laughs) (laughs) Is it getting dark? No. While I'm holding this shard, and I'm going, no. Do I feel feel faint? No. Do I feel weird? No. I feel, actually, actually, you know what? I feel bloody amazing. No props. Come on, Jeff, we can do it. <laughs> so I'm on the back of the moped with Jeff. We get to the, we get to the medical centre. After six hours of sitting in a pool of my own blood, they find that my complete left side of my skull has been crushed. I get 38 staples without anaesthetic. Never felt a thing. Never felt a thing. Not a thing. I get taken to one of the hospitals and the doctors say to me, you have had terrible head injuries the, brain, the blood supply to the brain is being cut off and you will die if you don't have an operation in six hours here in Bali. I've got to tell you, I shared eight needles with six people that day. Now I had to make a decision. Were they going to operate on me or was I going to try and get myself home? Because in Bali, unfortunately, they just don't have the same facilities that we do in cleanliness and hygiene. So was I going to let them in and do brain surgery? I don't think so. But what they gave me... Guys, sorry to do this to you. What they gave me was medication like aspirin for period pain, girls. (laughs) That's what they gave me to keep myself alive. So when I saw that it was Pondstan, I thought, you know what? That's just not going to cut the mustard. (laughs) I'm going to need a miracle here. And a miracle is exactly what I got. Because 15 hours later, I boarded a plane by Qantas and I flew home and landed in Sydney. And five hours later... So 20 hours, they gave me six hours. 20 hours later, I was operated on at the Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney. The doctors couldn't believe that I'd survived. There was no chance to be in the plane. They said that the cabin pressure was, even, was, was worse on the brain with the depressed skull fracture. And they said to me, we can't believe that you've survived, Karen, but at best, based on the brain injury, you're going to be an epileptic. And you know what? When the doctor told me that, I went, bring it on. 
I just got blown up. Bring that puppy on. <laughs> and that was how I felt. And then three days later, I'm still in the hospital, and my sister comes to tell me that Jodie and Charmaine never made it because they, need, they found part of Jodie's jaw, and they wondered if I knew Jodie's dentist. And then they found uh, Charmaine's leg, and they wondered if we had any um, DNA, like hairbrushes or anything for Charmaine. Three months later, Jodie and Charmaine came home in parts. Now, I have to say, what landed on my shoulders initially was, I've been blown up and I've survived, bring on epilepsy. After three months, that kind of dissipated. And what landed was three people have been killed because of me. And it's all my fault. Jodie and Charmaine would never have been in Bali had it not been for me, and it's all my fault. How do you actually live with the fact that you feel responsible for killing three people? You don't. You know, a normal person, and I'm just like you guys, right? I mean, I go to the toilet too. So... You can't actually live with something like that. So I spent the next six years in the depths of despair and the depths of depression, where waking up was a challenge. Now, I had made a decision I wasn't going to take my own life because I'd come so close to losing it. And now I had perspective, because all I could think about was being with my mum and my family, and how could I have ever even entertained the thought that I would leave them? How, how, how bizarre that I could have been so unclear and disconnected. But what I did instead, was give my experiences a whole bunch of meaning that completely robbed me of any quality of life. Because I thought, you're not going to kill yourself. No, worse, you're going to suck it up and you're going to live here in this skin and all the best you can hope for is an early death. Bring on cancer and hopefully they take me by 40. And that's really what I used to wake up thinking. Because I couldn't bear the thought of actually living. I mean, how do you live with three deaths on your shoulders and, and not go to jail? I wanted a cop to come and take me to jail. And then six years down the track, my little Maltese terrier, Dolly, munchkin, cutest little thing in all the world, she passes away of old age. My dad tells me a story. Do you want me to tell you the story? It was bloody awesome. My dad calls me Buffy because I'm a little overweight. Well, I used to be until I did the HCG with Cindy. <laughs> My dad says to me, Buffy, he says, come sit on daddy's leg. And I'm 36 at the time, 43 now. He says, come and sit on daddy's lap. Daddy, tell you a story. And I'm definitely daddy's little girl. And he says to me, Buffy, I want you to think about the caterpillar and the humble life that a caterpillar uh, has. He thinks he's awesome because he can bulldoze bulldoze over a blade of grass. He thinks he's brilliant. He said, but life takes place. And he follows his instinct because life is taking place. He said, he said, Buffy, life has taken place for you. Stuff has occurred. He said, you just have to follow life's natural flow. He said, and the caterpillar starts to, uh, starts to spin a cocoon. He said, that's just what life tells him to do, so he does it. But he's got no idea what's about to occur. He's in that cocoon for three months, and he said to me, he said to me Buffy, he said, you're in that cocoon, and he said, and it's hell. It's tight, it's hot, you feel like you're dying inside. Yeah, you, there's just this whole liquefaction taking place. And my dad said, Buffy, that's where you are. He said, but you know what? That is not the hardest part. He said, the hardest part is the caterpillar bursting out of that chrysalis. He said, because that's the fight of his life. No one can help him. No one can save him from himself. And no one can cut that chrysalis because if they do, he dies. His job is to burst out of that chrysalis. And in the process of doing that, he becomes so strong that when he spreads his wings, 
He can catch the world from a completely different perspective. And can you imagine going from seeing the world as a blade of grass and bulldozing over a blade of grass to being able to catch the breeze and see the entire perspective of the world? Wouldn't that be amazing? And in that minute, I got it. I got it. And and I said, said, Father, I said, honestly, you're a genius. I get it. I understand. But the the butterfly dies three days later, Father. In my science class, that's what happens. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) He says to me, Buffy, you've missed that point. (laughs) He said, isn't it better to experience the beauty of the butterfly even just for three days than to never experience it at all? Wow. Shut the front door. (laughs) And I got it. I realised... My experiences were not meant to destroy me. My experiences were meant to create me. But here's the greatest misalignment in man, in, in, amongst mankind. I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see this. Actually, let me just get the black one. This is the greatest mistake we make, and this is what's happening outside of these doors. And this is the invitation that I want to give to you guys, because I'm no different to most of you. I just have a different story. Everybody has a story. Who's facing challenges right now? You put your hands up earlier. We all have stuff. But here's the biggest mistake that we make. Tattoo this on your forehead if you like. I would suggest it. My formula that I discovered as a result of my experiences is E plus M equals O. Our experiences plus the meaning we give them equals the way we live, our outcome. I gave my experiences a whole bunch of meanings that completely debilitated me left me depressed, believing I didn't deserve to be here with you. But then when my dad told me the story, I thought, well, what if my experiences were purposeful? What other questions would I ask? What if I was supposed to survive? What would my life look like if that was purposeful? What if I was supposed to be Greg's partner? What if I was supposed to be Jodie's best friend and take her to the brink brink of death thinking it was me that was going to die, but it was actually her? What if that was the purpose? How do I know? I can't know. But while I believe that my experiences were designed to destroy me, I'm destroyed. While I believe my experiences were designed to create me, I become the creator. Does that make sense? One completely disempowers me and leaves me broken, leaving me no life to live, wishing only for an early death. The other inspires me, gives me something to pursue, gives me a new direction. So guess what I decided to do? I decided to become a speaker because I decided that everybody needed to hear what is possible for them. Because if I can survive being blown up, you can survive a headache. (laughs) You can survive a divorce, a bankruptcy. You can survive a cancer. You can survive a broken leg. You You know what? We can survive everything, but there is a decision you have to make. Your decision is either going to be that you become debilitated or you become the creator. Who is the center of your universe? Let me ask you a question. Have you noticed in every one of your experiences you're there? Just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. We are the architects of our own lives. I chose to be depressed. Who in this room would say I was responsible for Greg and Jody's death 
and Charmaine's death. Would anybody in this room, and please feel free to raise your hand, I shall not come after you. <laughs> Is there anybody in the room that thinks that it was my fault? I did it. Okay, cool. Now here's the challenge of perspective. Here's the issue with perspective. My perspective that I lived by was that it was my fault. I am responsible. So I lived like that and related to the world like that. Thank you, my love. And I related to the world like that that was my fault. Yet what else was available to me? Your perspective. See, my perspective was true for me. And it was destroying me. But there was another option. Your perspective. Where I'm not responsible for Greg and Jody's death. What if I got that six years earlier? See, here's how we live. We live like our perspective is the only truth. That our belief about ourselves is the only truth. We believe that to be true. It's a lie. We got it wrong. Because there's my perspective on you. And there's my perspective on what is possible. And I'm so sorry. Well, I'm so grateful, actually. I had to get blown up to get it. Now, who's, who's right? Who holds the truth? Me or you? Do you believe that you hold the truth that I'm not responsible for Greg and Jody's death? Do you believe that's the truth? Now, I believed that that was a lie. What are you currently believing about yourself, that you're not good enough, you can't be a leader, you don't have a voice? What are you currently believing about yourself that is debilitating you and robbing you of a future? What are you currently believing that keeps you playing small in this world? Because there's your perspective and then there's mine. Who holds the truth? I reckon I do. Just go with that. None of us hold the truth because none of us have the whole picture. You can only see through your own eyes based around your own beliefs about what's true. And it's a lie. And you run around the world relating to people in your life like it's the truth and it's crap. Sorry, but it is. Now, I want to challenge you guys and give you guys an invitation that today you don't sit in this room as participants anymore, not from this moment. You sit in this room as leaders. Because you have an invitation and you are not in this room for no reason. I did not survive my experiences for no reason. I was sent here to tell you this. It's time. It's time for you to stand for something. It's time for you to find your voice. And it's time for you to become a significant participant in life. But it requires that you get out of your own way. Because we live in a universe that requires 100% participation. You play half-baked, notice you don't get what you want. When you go full-on and you trust yourself and you fly by the seat of your pants following your innate desire, notice stuff happens. You get what you want. Where do you think your desires come from? Before they land in you, where were they? They come from somewhere. Where do your ideas come from? Before they land up here, they come from nowhere to here. Where are they coming from? There is a grand intelligence participating, your life, participating in your life, and it always has done. Those thoughts, those ideas, those desires, those inspirations, they don't come from nowhere. There's a universal intelligence guiding and leading all of us, and it's been doing it all along. I just happen to have met it face to face. But it's been there all along. 
Our job is to trust it. And our job is to prepare, be prepared to become a leader in this lifetime and to start to share what we've learned and to share what we know. But if you don't find your voice, the world doesn't get to become a better place because you're part of it. If you are the best kept secret and the things that you know and the things that you understand are the best kept secrets, the world does not become a better place because of you. And it's all up to you. And I'm looking at every single one of you. And it's up to every single one of you. You know why? Because we're all the same. None of us are different. But what separates us is our perspective on reality. Our perspective on reality is everything. So as a result of my experiences, I decided to become a speaker. Because I I believe this is the grandest way that we can get a message across Who's ever wanted to do this? Who's looked at speakers and gone, oh, geez, I'd love to do that. That'd be so cool to inspire people. Reveal yourselves. This is a possibility. Geez, if I can do it, anyone can do it. You just got to learn how. Now, whether you decide to be a speaker in front of thousands or whether you decide to just communicate better with your children, that's up to you. But your job is to take responsibility for what you're learning. Take responsibility for what you know and become magnificent because of it. Because the alternative is living a life that's insignificant. And either way, either way, we're going to land up in a box. (laughs) True or true? Hell, you might as well make it the most amazing journey. But it's about the meaning that you give your experiences. So your first step, have a good look at yourself and find areas in your life where you're falling down where you're feeling less than. That's the first step and clean it up. Give yourself a new meaning for your experiences. If there was a journalist looking at your experiences, what would they say about you? If there was somebody like me looking at your challenges, what would I say about you? That is the opposite perspective to what you currently have and who's to say you are right? Because chances are you're wrong. Because your choice is always debilitating. Welcome to the human race. This takes effort. This takes a willingness to participate. The second step is to get congruent. Get congruent with what you believe. You may not have tried it yet. You may not have lived into that new version of yourself. But hell, I'm living into a new version of myself every minute. That's what living is. It's participating in whatever comes next. Hell, I don't know what's going to happen next. Who knows what the next second's going to bring? You know, you just don't know. Either way, you're landing in a box, though. So you might as well get 100% participatory. And the third step is to contribute. Contribute. If you don't contribute, if you don't make a difference with what you know, what you're inspired to share, the world... The world suffers because you're not playing in it. You're just a bystander. And your experiences and your life and your inspirations are not for nothing. You matter. Your voice matters. Does that make sense? Now, because I love you all dearly, I've made a decision. I actually teach people to speak in public. Has anybody been bored, by the way? You can raise your hands and I won't come after you, I promise. (laughs) 
So I actually teach people to speak in public because out of that 68,000, I have met 60,000 people who have amazing stories, who have amazing experiences, but they may not be on the other side of them yet. Or they have amazing messages or brilliant businesses, but they have a message. Who feels like they have a message inside? Who, Who just feels like they have something to share? So because of that, I created Speakers Fast Track because I know I'm like you. I had something to share. I had something that I wanted people to know about, but I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know how to do it like this. So I created Speakers Fast Track as a result of everything that I've learned. Now, I've spent almost $100,000 on myself learning to speak properly, plus 895 presentations. You know what I'm saying. But I've taken everything that I've learned and I've put it into this program. So in your bags, there are two of you who have a free ticket. And you'll see, if you have a free ticket, it has a little black star in the corner. Shut the front door! Who's going, God, please don't be me, please don't be me, please don't be me. Do we have anybody else who has the free ticket? No? We've only got the one? Okay, so perhaps the one with the other free ticket maybe didn't get handed out or the person's already left. So for those of you guys who are interested in this, I've decided the next event is on the 15th through to the 17th of November in Brisbane. And it's a thousand bucks. But I know you've got to get there. And because I'm in Brisbane and we're in Melbourne, I've decided to do it for you two for one. But only today. And it's two and a half days. And we're not just talking about speaking. We're talking about confidence, finding your voice, overcoming that nervousness and that anxiety so you can be relaxed, whether it's with your children or whether it's one-on-one. It's up to you. Whether it's one on a thousand, that's up to you. So... It's time you get the message. I think it's time you get a message. What do you reckon? Who's flirting with the uh, speaker's fast track? Who's flirting? Just flirting. Just flirting. Me. Okay, very (laughs) Yes, you are. Okay, so that two for one is only for today, okay, guys? So if you want to come, come and book your tickets with me. Now, I have a balloon under every chair. Reach down and grab it. Blow it up, tie it off. Blow it up and tie it off. And you'll notice there's something in it. Oh, we've got a popper. So blow it up, tie it off. Woo! I love an early pop. Okay, so here's the deal. There's a special message in every balloon from me to you. And sometimes, in order to get the message, you're going to have to sit on it. Got it. Ready, go.
the message inside of their balloon was specially meant for them. <laughs> Who got the right message at the right time? From my heart to yours, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honour. My name's Karen Smith. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. We've certainly enjoyed delivering it. It's been an absolute treat and an honour to share everything that we have with you guys. So again, to get your hands on the full recording of the full Wellness Summit, go to thewellnesscouch.com, go to the top right-hand corner of the main menu page, and you're looking for a little tab called Shop. When you click on Shop, you're going to find a home study pack, 2013 in Melbourne. That's the one that you want. And it's only $197, so it's a real treat. That makes it $19.70 per speaker. And I don't know where you get that kind of value for that kind of price. So join us here again next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to see you on the ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.